You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is one of the fastest growing social media applications that there is dedicated to outdoor enthusiasts. Uh, this app is basically a community of all like-minded individuals who love Mother Nature, love to be outside, love hunting, fishing, camping, all the activities that people love to do outside, you're going to find a community for those activities within Go Wild. Now, you can download the app directly to your mobile device, your phone, and you can find that at the Google Play Store. That's where I download all my apps. Or for more information, you can go to timetogowild.com, read up on the app, read what it's all about, lot, lots of detail on their uh, on their website. So uh, get outside. It's time to go wild. Welcome to the For Love of Land podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Each week, we're interviewing guests from across America. They all have one thing in common. They all are tied to the land. So if you're like us and you love all things land, welcome home. All right, guys. Welcome to another For Love of the Land podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. We are cruising down the road. Man, headed we're to cruising. another consult, or a bunch of consults actually. We're yes. going to hit Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Indiana. Um, and there's a, multiples in Pennsylvania and multiples in Ohio. Ohio. And so we are on a marathon mission of improving habitat across the country. We're taking this thing eastbound, eastbound <laughs> and down. We're going global. <laughs> yeah. um, Hold on, we're going global. And so uh, it's worldwide. Yeah. Uh, what was that stepbrother said? Something worldwide. I don't know. Right. Who knows with that movie? Yeah, no doubt. Um, so anyway, this is a awesome um, podcast coming up, and I really, really hope you guys enjoy it. Um, it's uh, Lindsay it's, Thomas. It's you basically you. It's it's really awesome, and yeah. I ain't even there. <laughs> so that's saying I told, something, I told right? you about it. Yeah. Um, after we recorded, it sounded awesome. Yeah, it sounded <laughs> awesome, and it, it truly is. Um, so, so take a you know thirty, forty minutes to sit down with Lindsay Thomas of QDMA, and um, those who don't know of Lindsay, I'm not going to 
get into the store or anything, but um, he takes land management and land ownership to a new level. And he goes just beyond, uh, or excuse me, way beyond being, uh, if you will, put into a box of, of QDMA just focused on deer. And he goes into super in-depth um, stories uh, of his family's property. And I think it's so intriguing um, because it's a unique place. So I, I'm, I'm excited to cool. sit down and listen to the whole thing because, you know, QDMA guys. We've had multiple QDMA guys on. Yep. But every time they come on, we pretty much talk deer or QDMA events or all things habitat but focused on deer. Or, or CWD. Or CWD. And this yeah. is a chance. And I, and I hope he, this, it this was like a breath of fresh air for him because it kind of was like, Oh, it's something I don't get to talk about a lot. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. And for every one of us, what's more exciting as a as a land guy to, to do than just talk about your own your own piece of ground? So, um, hopefully, we broke that mold and and said, Lindsay he, got to he talk about the some, mold. There he you crushed go. It. He crushed um, it. And so, really cool. If you aren't aware of what QDMA is, go check it out. Quality Deer Management Association. Become a member. Um, help fight the fight of of conservation and improving. Um, Habitat for Habitat everything. for everything, but also supporting an organization who is doing their best to be a voice for, for hunters and and uh, habitat enthusiasts. So go check out QDMA at QDMA.com, I believe. That's it. And another announcement, we are going to be at the Gun and Gin Show in Memphis, Tennessee, February, March 1st and 2nd. Yep. We're going to be at the Ark of the Ozarks Quest Hunt Co. Hunting and Fishing Expo, February 8th, 8th and 9th, 9th in Springfield, Missouri. And presenting on the 9th. And presenting on the 9th. And we're going to yep. have a booth there, so come and see us if you're in southern Missouri or anywhere close to there. Come and see us if you're anywhere near Memphis at the Gun and Gin Show. And then also we'll be at the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention, uh, February 14th, 15th, 16th in Nashville, Nashville Tennessee at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. It. And resort, and we will be having an after-hours um, seminar party at uh, Saturday night. Bayou Room C at the Gaylord Operland Hotel. So if you're at the convention, you don't have to go anywhere. Six o'clock, check out that room. We'll be there. Food, drinks. I I think something will be there. We'll be there yeah. at least. Right. We'll be there. Pure Air will be there. Um, probably a couple guys from Stratton will be there. But talk talking a brand new seminar we've never presented on and then doing a live Q&A podcast with everyone. So great place to hang out and chill and get to know everyone. And so anyway, with that being said, are you ready to let them have it? Let let them have it. All right. All righty. Lindsay, are you there? Hey, Matt. I'm here. How are you this morning? I am doing all right. We are just talking there pre-podcast recording just how cold it is right now but then what we have uh, to look forward to in the next couple of weeks with the colds how's uh georgia yeah we are down in the well, i think we were in the 20s this morning it's gonna be 20s Ooh. again tomorrow so that's pretty cold here um yeah we're gonna be down in mid 20s tomorrow i'm looking at the forecast right now um and that's we've only had a couple of spells so far this this year of of 20s mm-hmm. so that's pretty cold for us here yeah yeah absolutely and you live more central georgia is that correct yeah i live in in just outside of athens georgia where qdma's national yep. headquarters is and and athens is sort of northeast georgia really just about an hour east of atlanta right fantastic well if you will that was a great great intro you know Talk to us a little bit about 
who Lindsay Thomas is, what you do for a living, and then we'll jump in kind of to the meat of the podcast um, and discuss Grace Acre. So, Lindsay, what do you do for a living? I am director of communications for QDMA, the Quality Deer Management Association. And for anybody who doesn't know, we're a nonprofit whitetail conservation organization. Um, I've been with QDMA for over 15 years now, and uh, in my role, I am editor of the magazine, uh, and my communications team here helps. uh, We do the magazine, we do QDMA's website, we do uh, email and social media, Mm -hmm. um, so all of the printed materials as well for the organization, support materials for all of our different departments um, are produced by my team, so um that's that's me fantastic so how long have you been with that organization just over 15 years it was 15 back in september that's awesome that's awesome so annually i I know you guys and we discussed um on the habitat podcast quite a bit with cutie may and kind of how how we team up on on some things but you know just quick brief rundown of the for people who may not know what qdma is and listening to this podcast um what are the, the goals that you guys have, the mission goals um, for QDMA? Well, our mission is ensuring the future of whitetail deer, wildlife habitat, and our hunting heritage um, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, currently several of our specific mission goals have to do with hunter recruitment. Um, specifically, we're really working in the area of adult hunter recruitment. Um, we've got a dynamic program going now, Field to Fork, that reaches out to adults from non-traditional backgrounds. In other words, they didn't grow up hunting mm-hmm. um, and, and, and helping them understand, you know, how through hunting they can acquire their own food. Right. So that, that's our big hunter recruitment push. Um, we are, through our volunteers, working for habitat improvement on public hunting lands. Um, one of our positions is that, um, before we decide we need more public hunting land, we think there's a lot of public existing public hunting land out there that could be more productive if it was managed better. So, you know, we're, we're pushing to, uh, get to improve habitat improvement on land that we own, Mm -hmm. uh, public hunting land that's already in existence. Um, we are, you know, deer research is another thing we put a lot of effort into. And, and these days, of course, one of the big threats we're dealing with is chronic waste disease. Uh, so QDMA spends a lot of time working on that. So there's a uh, meanwhile, of course, advocacy effort. We work on policy. Kip Adams and his conservation team deal with legislation, both good for deer and bad for deer uh, all year long. So we're always working for deer and deer hunting. Mm-hmm. And, and that's wild deer. I would be very specific about that. Sure. We're a wild deer organization. And, you know, in the background, while we are working on the future of deer hunting, we are a strongly educational organization and try to help deer hunters learn more about the whitetail, more about how to manage a deer population to improve your deer hunting and how to improve deer habitat. So, uh, yeah, we... <laughs> There's a lot going on, <laughs> but it, it um, definitely is. yeah, we're a nonprofit. So I would just go ahead and throw in there that um, we can use everybody's support to get mm-hmm. this done. So if you, if what I just said sounds like something your listeners could get behind, 
you know, I'd urge them to become a member today. We are a very effective nonprofit. We are a four-star charity as rated by Charity Navigator, which is an independent group that lets you know that the nonprofits you support use your money efficiently. So check us out there if you have any doubt. But we'd appreciate any support of your members. Yeah, absolutely. That's You're- fantastic. I mean, it, it, there's no doubt that you guys are, are – and it, everything goes beyond, as, as we're going to talk about later on the podcast, everything that's, you know, within land, that just that realm of land, it all kind of works and works together. So when you guys are talking about, you know, improving land for, for deer, you're improving it for so many other species, and, and just having management on the land is so important um, to, to redirect and get – ecosystems habitat vegetation as productive as possible so it's not it's not just deer there's a lot of other added benefits with what you guys are doing oh yeah absolutely and uh, each one of us you know once you get to know many of the team members and myself you come to realize that we are into all of that we Mm -hmm. love deer and we love deer hunting but we've come to see the uh, value and benefits that extend far beyond that, whether it is other game species and other non-game species and forests and plants and ecosystems. And it's just sort of once you start down that path of managing deer, the rest just falls into place and you no, start no to doubt. realize the, the, the um, you know, the benefits that go beyond just what you're doing for deer. No question. No question. And that honestly is a perfect segue into what we want to talk about a lot today because, um, of course, I've, we have a, a personal relationship, business relationship, but what I love about what you do is following along on, on your Instagram page and because you oftentimes put up images and pictures and just really cool findings about your property or family's property called Grace Acres in southeast Georgia coastal property. Um, and it's such a unique place and not that much exposure because there's not many coastal properties out there like this. Um, it just doesn't get much exposure. And when you're out there, you're taking pictures of flowers, you're taking pictures of, of history, you're, you're helping document what's going on in the property now in comparison to, to, to way back when. And that is so intriguing to me because, you know, you're educating people at the same time you're captivating them you're sharing these stories and that's what this podcast is about so you're it's a perfect fit um to have you on and discuss that so you know what is grace acres to you and your family um it's home it is home to our family and and home it was home to me that's where i grew up Uh um and so we see it as home but beyond that uh our family goes back uh, generations in this area. And so, you know, there's a strong pull there in that region for us, you know, it, it, in in our blood, I guess mm-hmm. I would say, you yeah. know, um, many of our family members are there in the cemeteries in this area. It goes back generations. And um, so that's what this part of the country is to us is home. And I think what I've come to realize about that is that is there, you know, if you're setting out to buy yourself a great deer property, um, lots of areas of the country come to mind. Uh, almost no one is going to think of Coastal Plain, Georgia, when sure. they're looking for a great deer property. Right. But, but you know, home and roots that we have there 
pulls at you know my interests mm-hmm. uh, in a way that overpowers those sorts of things. Can you find more scenic parts of the country? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, all of those things sort of get trumped ultimately by the fact that um, I'm just drawn back to this place again and again by the the family ties and the roots that are there, family uh, who are alive today and family who are gone. Mm-hmm. So it's um, that's a very powerful pull. And so when you ask me what is Grace Acres, I guess that's the first word that comes to my mind is it's my home. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that is fantastic. And that's that's why we love land so much because it's so dynamic. It changes, you know, at different times in your life. I'm sure that Grace Acres meant different things to you. Um, but now, it, you know, it, it's home and that's where you just feel tied to. You could have other opportunities elsewhere to go hunt, you know, great monster deer in Illinois, Iowa, whatever. But, you know, doing it there and having that connection with the land is so, so important. Again, that's what draws us all into working the land, being on the land, having some sort of relationship with a, a property. Um, it just, it pulls you in every single time without fail. Yeah. And even, you don't really even have to have like what we're fortunate to have there where there's this deep family connection. Mm-hmm. Once to, to me, because I've come to experience this with other properties mm-hmm. that I've been involved with as an adult where I didn't grow up, where once you start getting your hands dirty there and you start improving things, planting things, seeing things grow, seeing things change as a result of your efforts, that same connection begins to develop. Very easily. Very easily. That's a great point. All right. It doesn't have to be, you know, steep with, with family history. You know, it can just be a brand new property that, that you either purchased and um, you just begin working and, and, that connection of calling it your own is, is powerful. Yes. So Grace Acres, how, how many acres is it? Uh, what is it kind of from a, from a land perspective, what is it comprised of? Well, it's um, right now today, Grace Acres is about 550 to 600 acres uh-huh. uh, in there. Um, it is right on the, um, uh, City limits of Scriven, Georgia. So we're right there in a little small farm community cool. uh, where I grew up. Um, when I grew up, it was a farm. Dad was, mm-hmm. you know, a farmer, and uh, we grew tobacco, soybeans, uh, corn, sometimes peanuts, um, and, and, and sometimes people, other crops. People but, didn't know tobacco in the South, the Deep South, has an A at the end of it. He said tobacco. That's right, it's tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes people don't even use the T. For that's, some people, it's just backup. That's exactly but... <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's 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 more like uh, the Gulf Shores of of, of uh, Alabama, Georgia, down there, where it gets real deep south. It's just backup. <laughs> yep, out in the out in the backup patch. That's so. Um, but yeah, I so you know, even as a kid, I helped in the tobacco patch in the summer and uh, uh, when I was out of school and. Myself and my brother Rands, you know, grew up doing that. So dad was a farmer. Um, but, you know, since then, um, in the years since, we have gradually, dad has gradually converted it to a wildlife and tree farm. And, mm-hmm. and the fields, what used to be in, in agriculture, 150 to 250, 150 to 200 acres of that, is now in longleaf pine. Wow, cool. um, so we are gradually converting it to sort of a native Mm-hmm. habitat and, and wildlife uh, property. 
for us to enjoy to you know for wildlife conservation and for hunting um so that's that's what it is today now it goes back it's been in the family um quite a long time since um just after the civil war Mm. and uh, uh my dad his uncle Lindsay grace was the one who gave him grace acres and at one time uh Lindsay grace was uh he he made his living in the naval stores industry okay and what that is is uh where they used to collect pine rosin Mm -hmm. from longleaf and slash pine trees and they called it the naval stores industry literally because most of those products went to waterproofing wooden ships yeah so naval as in navy and um he that's where he made most of his living he was very successful at it at one time i think he owned over 15,000 acres in wayne county georgia wow um and ultimately later in his life he began giving a lot of that away he gave much a good bit to the county there's a lake grace there in wayne county that's named oh, after neat. him because he gave the land for that he gave land to community centers in in some of the towns there and, uh, and then gave uh, left much of the land to many of his heirs. Mm-hmm. And dad, among the heirs, ended up getting the farm there uh, just outside Scriven. So, again, that's, you know, where I grew up, where he made his living farming. And um, Uncle Lindsay, as we called him, which, of course, that's where the name came from. That's sure. My dad was named after Lindsay Grace, and I was named after my dad. But uh, he got the land from his grandfather, C.C. Uh, C. Grace, who first— um, bought the farm and started his own farm there just after returning from the Civil War. Wow. And he built a home there in the late 1860s. That home is still there. That's where I grew up, is in what we call the captain's house uh, there uh, at Grace Acres. So um, that's sort of the, the quick history there. Um, the farm has changed over the years. Um, at you know, Like I said, uh, Uncle Lindsay was... was uh, maintaining it for uh, collecting pine sap and rosin. So it was a different sort of forest management then. He wanted pine trees. He didn't want much in the way of live oaks or other oak species. So sure. gradually um, we sort of returned it back from that and are, and are restoring some of the species that really should be there. Uh, but you can still go out on the farm and find some of the old history going back to, you know, the naval stores industry. It's sort of neat to walk around and see it. That was one of those things. I, I'd never seen that. And, and you posted about that on, on the Instagram. And I was like, that's fascinating. And and those trees, you know, that, that history, it's kind of everywhere. There's several pictures. I'm sure that was, it probably wasn't even half of them that you can still see the remnants of the way people used the land and, and worked the land way back then. That, yeah, strange. they they would scrape the way they collected the rosin. Would they they would scrape uh, the side of these large pine trees into what was called a cat face, mm-hmm. because the V shaped grooves that they cut in the wood, running down the the bottom of the trunk of the tree, ended up sort of being in the shape of a cat face with ears pointed ears at the top and a nose at the bottom. But the intent of that was to funnel the mm-hmm. sap as it drained down into the base of a container of some kind and right. you, you go back 120 years or so and what they were doing was literally chopping a reservoir in the base of the tree to collect the rosin and then they'd come around and dip that out well that was pretty stressful on these pine trees yeah. and, and it many times killed the tree or or invited pine beetles and other problems 
So around 1900 or so, uh, a guy named Hurdy, who was a professor of forestry here at the University of Georgia, and he actually was, I believe, the first football coach of the UGA football team. Um, But he invented, he was a professor of forestry, and he invented what was called the Hurdy Cup, and it's a clay-fired round cup that had a hole in it that you could hang on a nail at the base of this cat face, and all the sap would drain into that cup. They just come around and take the cup off the tree, pour it into your buckets and collect the sap that way. And, you know, that was one of the things I posted pictures of was not only can you find these old cat faces around the farm, but you can occasionally find these old clay uh, hurdy cups laying around, some of them broken, some of them whole, but they are true antiques. And, um, but yeah, it's neat to see these, you know, when you did that, when you scraped the faces of these pine trees like that and the rosin, really became saturated in the wood right there what you ended up with was fat lighter wood Uh and that of course doesn't rot easy and these faces are still out there so the men that carved these faces are long gone but these their work is still there um you know throughout the woods Mm. that's that's incredible Uh, to to, i mean we all way back i keep saying way back when but like you know throughout history we've all been dependent upon the land you know to some degree and again I, I i had never heard of people utilizing land and resources on the land you know for that purpose um you hear of you know people tapping into maple trees and stuff to make syrup but this is completely different a similar process of what it sounds like but for a different product and different uses um and and kind of it's it's funny wherever you go regionally there's those things that if you will it's like a a, a niche within that region that that's just very specific to the region. And, and I'm educate me. Where else can you find this type of um, tapping in, you know, with those uh, hurdy pots and things for that resin? Is that, I'm sure it could probably be anywhere throughout the South and the long leaf the, or the slash pines, but is it, was it necessary there because of it being coastal? You know, I, I, uh, my understanding is that it is sort of a coastal plain thing. So it, it okay. goes throughout the southeast up into South Carolina, North Carolina and out to toward Texas. I think it was, you know, an industry that uh, and that's a good question. I don't know whether it was related to the range of slash and long, longleaf pine, which mm-hmm. were um, sort of the top species for that, or whether it was related to, like you said, being coastal. Right. Um, but. Uh, that's a good question, but yeah, it is very. It was very much like you said, a syrup uh, deal, where in the north they make maple syrup and things like that. But they would uh, collect all this rosin and take it and boil it down in big boilers, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, refine it into turpentine and other products. Um, so yeah, I'm not. That's a good question. I'm not sure, you know, exactly how to explain why it was a southeast coastal thing, but it, sure. it certainly is. Yeah, that's fascinating. So. What other things has has Grace Acres been um, used for in the past? How, how else have people lived off the land besides the the farming um, and utilizing the slash pine? Well, at times they've uh, I know that uh, there were some cattle on it. Um, I believe that CC Grace ran cattle in addition to farming, and then those cattle remained out there for you know even when Uncle Lindsay owned it. Um, they were gone by the time we lived on the farm. Uh, so farming, cattle, timber, um, and then hunting. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes all the way back to Captain Grace, 
who was a, a prolific hunter and taught his grandson, Lindsay, um, to hunt. And ultimately, uh, Lindsay Grace and my Aunt Mary, they never had children of their own. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up being that dad kind of was uh, like a son to them. Yeah. And dad, uh, his his father did not hunt, but Uncle Lindsay did. Right. He, that's where he became a hunter was with him. So, awesome. And we've actually got, dad in his gun closet has got Captain Grace's shotgun. Oh. Um, that, uh, and I forget what model it is or, but uncle Lindsay told my dad that captain grace was a, uh, really good quail hunter that mm. often, and, and they would hunt wild quail there on the farm yep. and that he had seen him with his own eyes, uh, bringing, uh, you know, when the, on the covey rise, yep. bringing that pump shotgun up and shooting before he actually had the shotgun to his shoulder and, and taking birds down literally completely instinctual. Yeah. Beginning wow. to almost shoot from the hip with the first shot before he got the second oh, shot wow. to his shoulder and aiming and, and hitting birds with that first shot. Jeez. So they were, they were, uh, and, and uncle Lindsay came on and was a prolific quail hunter. He ultimately became a big deer hunter as well. Mm -hmm. And so, that, you know, that just sort of, hunting runs uh through the whole story of grace acres and now when uncle Lindsay and even when my dad uh was growing up and learning to hunt the other tradition that we have there in this part of the country is is dog hunting mm -hmm. um running deer with dogs yeah uh, much like you would hunt rabbits where you get out ahead of the dog pack and you shoot the deer when it comes by and that's how it was done then right but my uncle Lindsay was one of the first men in that part of the country who owned a high-powered rifle with uh -huh. a scope yeah. for deer hunting. Um, he still went on the dog drives and used buckshot, you know, to hunt. Uh -huh. But he also began uh, hunting, sort of stalk hunting right. on his own without dogs using a high-powered rifle. And it was, uh, and again, I've, I've actually got and have killed deer with it. I've got his uh, Remington Pump Game Master 30 oh, all yeah. 6 um, awesome. that, that, again, was, you know, as Dad tells it, one of the first scope deer rifles anybody had seen in Southeast mm. Georgia. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, uh, deer hunting and hunting in general go uh, way, way back on Grace yeah, Acres. Absolutely. So what's the quail population like right now on, on Grace Acres? It is thin. Um, it is, you know, we're trying to get it to come back. Sure. Um, but it, it's tough, just like it yeah. is everywhere. You know, yeah. wild quail used to be very abundant there mm -hmm. um, a long time ago, but then modern farming practices, uh, which basically, you know, you farmed, clean farmed right up to the edge of the woods, yep. and you got rid of the fence rows and the, the gaps and the mm -hmm. edges and the corners that used to be there with less efficient farming practices. Yep. Um, that was quail habitat. Mm -hmm. And when the clean farming practices, the efficient farming practices came on, um, you know, in, in the le last half of the last century and the more recent years, all of that went away. And, um, it basically was woods and fields. Mm -hmm. And, and so a lot of the habitat changes and the farming changes led to a vast reduction in uh, that edge habitat that was so beneficial to quail and certainly deer too. But, um, so we're trying to bring them back. Our regime now of 
thinning timber and using prescribed fire certainly has has helped with that and restoring the longleaf pine. We're at a stage now with our longleaf where it's it's still not quite um, primo quail habitat, mm-hmm. but we're getting there. Yeah. Um, and you know, I certainly think we we always had a couple of cubbies around, just sure. a couple. We've never hunted them because we sort of want to you know. Uh, foster them and, mm-hmm. and let those be there to sort of come on. Um, and, you know, most afternoons you can hear a Bob White whistling up around the house. Awesome. Um, but yeah, that's, it's something we, we want to see come back soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're, the, the important thing is though, you're actively managing for it. You're not just kind of hoping and wishing, sitting back, you're actively moving forward with, with trying to regain some of that habitat back and doing what you can to make sure that those numbers can at least at least stabilize or, or increase. And that's super important. Adam yeah. discussed um, with, with a, a biologist this week on, a, on another podcast, quail numbers and research that they're doing. And it's absolutely fascinating, incredibly fascinating here kind of in the, in the Midwest and, and looking at um, grazing techniques and how in, um, you know, kind of the plains, warm season grasses for those settings what role cattle play and it's it's incredible so um anyhow anyhow, not to get distracted by that but love to hear that there's quail there you're working you're managing trying to improve that that habitat are there any other either and, and this goes into vegetation too rare or endangered species on the property um, or, or threatened or just some that you're like, that, I, I don't see that very much except for in and around Grace Acres with it being kind of that coastal um, property. You're, you're in a unique area. So w- what are some of the things that you, you might see there that you don't experience elsewhere in Georgia? Yeah, um, well, there's a, with the longleaf pine, there's a whole suite of species that go with that um ecosystem Mm -hmm. that that historical ecosystem and you know with that package that we're trying to restore quail of course uh were one of the the keystone species of that kind of longleaf wiregrass plain Mm -hmm. um that was once existent here but then you've got this whole other collection of species that go with that in terms of endangered species the gopher tortoise is uh one of the ones that's most well known with this sort of sandhill longleaf Mm -hmm. pine habitat uh we do have gopher tortoises in the area and want to see more of them yeah um indigo snakes Mm -hmm. are another one that go with that they um if you've ever seen an indigo it's one of the most beautiful and just mesmerizing snakes you will ever see they are just glossy black and thick all the way through, completely harmless. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not not venomous. They are hunters of other snakes. They actually eat right. diamondbacks and uh, other snakes. So, um, but they they depend on the gopher tortoise burrows for their own habitat and and where they will live. That's so kind of, it would be like a, I don't mean to interrupt, but like a, a uh, oh let's say so like a secondary cavity nester for for, for birds. But in this that's, instance, it's a snake that's a secondary hole nester, if you will, but it needs the gopher tortoise to get in there and do its thing and lay eggs and, and prosper. Yeah, that and that, that's the interesting thing about the gopher tortoise. They make these long, long burrows huh. um, that they live in. They go way down, 20, 30, sometimes more feet uh, wow. tunneling underground. 
in the sand. And that burrow ends up being a key uh, piece of literally uh, the habitat for some uniquely adapted species. There's actually, I believe, a gopher frog um, that uh, that only reproduces and lives in those burrows. Um, So those burrows end up being uh, a unique habitat in their own right. Uh, and yeah, the Indio snakes use them for shelter. Uh, diamondback rattlesnakes will shelter in those as well. Uh-huh. Um, and a whole bunch of other insects and, and reptiles that use that. So that gopher tortoise ends up being, like I said, a keystone species of this whole uh, ecological package. And so, yeah, we want to see more of those. And, you know, bringing back the longleaf pine, uh, one of the pictures I showed uh, on Instagram recently was me trying to produce palmetto seedlings mm-hmm. and um yeah you'll hear people say you know a few people respond and were like man i can't get rid of them and, and it's true that in some areas saw palmetto is very common right but like i said the way the farm had been used in the past uh for farming and running cattle and the, the naval stores industry it had been pretty much wiped out in some, except in a few pockets um and so you know now that we're bringing long we brought longleaf back by planting it um, as part of the Longleaf Pine initiative, initiative under CRP. Uh-huh. Um, and so we've got, you know, row to row Longleaf out in these areas, but the, the understory plants, you know, weren't replanted with it. So we're, uh, my, one of my projects is to try to bring in some of those like saw palmetto, uh-huh. wiregrass, some of the other species that, that are companions of this, yep. of, of Longleaf and, and sprinkle those in there too. So we got those projects going, um, there's a understory. I like it. Yep. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's, um, when you bring these things back and, and when, and particularly what we found is longleaf is very compatible with whitetails because it's a tree that you grow in a light density. And it has, uh, when you look up at the canopy of a longleaf pine, these long, beautiful needles, and it's a very light canopy sunlight can come through that Mm -hmm. and um it is not a dark canopy tree so you get a lot of sunlight on the ground and as we all know what that does is produce foraging cover for whitetails so um this is um you know even though we i'm talking about gopher tortoises and indigo snakes and cool things like that in the end trying to help these animals benefits our deer hunting our turkey hunting our quail hunting as well so going back to what you said about the interconnectivity of the things we hunt with the things we don't it's you you really can't work on one without benefiting the other you can't you can't and and you this example of of grace acres your dedication to it you know calling it home everything has is it's a slam dunk as an illustration for that Lindsay. you know people may may look or, or know you as a um you know a leader in in qdma and kind of, if you will, kind of put you in a box. But truthfully, you and I and so many other people out there love more than just whitetails. Of course we love whitetails. They're fascinating and they're incredible to hunt. But beyond whitetails, when you truly get into it and feel connected to the land and want to work the land and understand it, you're exposed to so much else. And, and the relationships, the way everything is intertwined is mind-boggling and what you've shared so far is a perfect example of that to be a hunter you don't have to just be a whitetail hunter or to be a a a farmer you don't have to be just concerned about your crops 
there's so much more that happens on the land. And if we focus just solely on that, we miss out on so much other incredible, mind-blowing phenomenons. And, and it's there. We just have to take the time to be able to understand it. And, and I, I don't think that we have to try and appreciate it. If we just understand it, that appreciation is there. It's just ready, well, and the thing that, Go ahead. Yeah, the thing I've noticed is that many, many hunters don't realize they're having these fringe benefits for other oh, yeah. species. You know, they're planting food plots or thinning timber, uh, maybe doing fire, uh, maybe planting trees, doing some hinge cutting. You know, they're trying to feed deer and, and encourage deer cover. But, you know, many of them don't realize mm-hmm. they're having uh, auxiliary benefits for a whole bunch of other species. And, you know, I've said before in my writing that, you know, you can look out there and find some pretty dire information right now from scientists who feel like on a worldwide scale, we are in a fairly significant um, extinction period, that a lot of species around the world are, are vanishing at a rather alarming pace compared right. to, you know, what should be normal as a result of human activity. But my feeling is one of the things that's, that people aren't realizing is deer hunters are one of the groups of people who are fighting that whether they realize it or not that within these uh, small properties that they are managing for deer they are creating these little uh, diversity zones that uh, ultimately end up benefiting the plants the birds insects reptiles amphibians all the whole you know package out there of things that are in these ecosystems that you didn't think about and weren't mm-hmm. trying to help and you're helping them anyway and don't know it. So yes. um, I think that's something hunters should uh, pat themselves on the back for. And I think other oh, yeah. people should look at what hunters are doing and saying, you know, this is making a difference that mm-hmm. in whitetail country anyway, um, there's not any extinctions uh, going on. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and that's a, that's a perfect point to make. And, and, um, my question to you is being a writer and, and being someone who um, writes all the time, produces incredible magazine, tons of information. Have you, or you may already be doing this, but documented and writing about Grace Acres in, in a, a book or some sort of fashion to document what you're seeing and what's taking place over time? No, I haven't. And that's, I mean, in small ways, yes. I mean, Grace Acres always finds its way into my writing and my articles because that's where I do a lot of my experimentation and, sure. and habitat work and the things I learn from hunting and, mm-hmm. and chasing deer many times are there. So, you know, it, yeah, it, it ends up being, you know, piecemeal documented, but no, I haven't really thought about a book it's it's probably not a bad idea if, but uh, if you get there you know, if if you begin to write one you let me know when it's published i'll read it I, I love, <laughs> like, and i think a lot of other people will too when they get to understand and value what we're talking about in the podcast when they slow down and listen and watch what's happening when they start to manage and manipulate the land it's again it's it's way more than just seeing a a buck get 10 more inches on his antlers or, or, you know, you see your, your herd density increase or your age structure, even back out. It's way more than that. And in writing and talking about this, hopefully we can show that and reveal that. Um, But you're, you're sitting on a prime example. And uh, I think you're a great writer. I think it'd be awesome. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Matt. Absolutely. Well, any any other cool things? We got about five more minutes um, on on the podcast. Yeah. What, Let what me else say is this. Cool? Let me say this as as a you know to your listeners who might want to own land one day or do own land. Let me tell you one of the things that we have done at Grace Acres that's going to be critical for the long run, because. You know, it, it is costly to own land. Sure. Um, yes, you can't just own land and sit there without uh, paying taxes. Mm-hmm. And if you have activities on it, there's going to be upkeep. You're going to need equipment, particularly if you want to improve it for hunting. There's things you need to do, and those things come at a cost. So you have to have income off the land. And that's mm-hmm. one of the balances we've had to strike at Grace Acres between things we want to do for wildlife and habitat and things that make money. Um, and some of the things, uh, the other big piece of advice, and this is a big part of the story of Grace Acres, is programs, cost share programs that we take advantage of from the government that help us save money. Um, we've put about half the farm, which is the swamp, about half the farm mm-hmm. is uh, swamp land on Little Satilla Creek. And that is now in a cons- in a permanent conservation easement with the NRCS. It's uh, in the Wetland Reserve Program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know you guys have talked about conservation easements before, but the yep. you know, we could dig into that. But the financial benefits of that are enormous. Right. And beyond that, being involved in it, it continues to pay dividends. The NRCS folks that help us with this have come out many times and seen things on the easement that fit programs they had in place and let us know about them. You know, two years ago, they came out and and noticed uh, about a five-acre area of Chinese privet that Mm -hmm. we had been wanting to control but didn't quite know how to get rid of that much at one time. And they had a program. And the next thing we knew, a dude showed up with a mulching machine and in about a week mulched all that privet, came in, sprayed it a year later when it was, you know, coming back. And this hasn't caught – this has not cost us a dime. Yeah. It's all part of the easement. Absolutely. So it's things like that, that, you know, not just the cost share, not just the tax benefits of being in an easement, but, you know, all these programs, our longleaf pine, we planted with the, like I said, the longleaf pine initiative, mm-hmm. where for 15 years we were paid to grow those trees. Yeah. And people don't realize the opportunities that, that, that are out there, so they will go to their NRCS office and, and look at, talk to your local land trust, look at, you know, it's not for everybody, but look right. into the details. Because, no I mean, I'll be honest with, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I work for a nonprofit organization. Um, I'm not ever going to be a wealthy man. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother and sister, you know, we're, none of us are uh, going to be wealthy people, but one day we're going to be owning this farm and having to pay for its upkeep. And so we, the land has got to pay for itself. And that's, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we're working toward. Um, and, and the Longleaf, for example, uh, is now out of the program stage and it is not in a great habitat stage right now because it's kind of uh, started to canopy out. But what we're doing is raking the pine straw. Yeah. Um, and Longleaf pine straw brings top dollar. It is the highest quality pine straw anybody can buy, you know, down at the home store. Yep. And so we're raking that, and that is for we're in that stage right now. We won't be in that stage forever. At some point, we will thin the longleaf and turn that begin to turn that more into sort of the habitat we're interested in. But for right now, um, raking that straw brings us that income that helps us maintain and hang on to this farm because owning land. Like said, cost money for most people. 
it costs money and it's tough to do. And you have to look at these programs to help ensure and protect the land, not only so that you can own enjoy it, but future generations can. Mm-hmm. And, and also with the easement deal, that ensures that even if it changes hands and one day your heirs don't own the land anymore, but somebody else does, that easement goes with the land. Exactly. And, and those acres will always be protected as habitat. So I'd urge anyone who's interested in land to look into those programs. We use them big time at Grace mm-hmm. Acres, and they're a big part of, of that story. No doubt, no doubt. Nailed that. And, and I definitely second um, all of that that was said there. And I mean, that's the thing. There's so many opportunities. And, and sometimes you just got to get downright creative on, on ways to, you know, produce an income on a property. I've, we've, we've had uh, one of our clients, he um, didn't want a full-time job. And he, he kind of midlife, not crisis, but just was like, you know what? I'm taking the family farm and I'm taking it by the reins. I'm going to work my tail off. And he did all the work himself to flip this farm and create, you know, from, from an agricultural setting into dynamite habitat, um, but utilized government programs. And instead of hiring a contractor, again, he didn't have another job. He just did himself. And there, there was his income. But he just had to get creative and say, I, I got to figure this thing out. I've got land. How do I make it work? How do I help pay for it? And that was part of his process. And sometimes you just, you got to do it because again, I said, that's family land. That, that means something. It means something to you right now. It's going to mean something to your kids and you just, you got to get creative. And those are great options to be able to uh, look into. And if you're going to do that work anyhow and want those benefits, why not get a little money back from it or have it paid? For That's it? right. Yeah. And, and the, you know, you don't have to have either income or wildlife. They go, you, they can go hand in hand. And if someone 100%. will work with someone like you, a consultant like you, uh, a forester, or, or just mm-hmm. get someone professional who understands uh, deer hunting and wildlife benefits as well. And they will help you m- straddle those two interests so yes. that you're, you know, managing the timber for income or looking for other sources of income off the land, like, like our pine straw um, that you can do in ways that mesh with your wildlife priorities. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's very doable. You, you don't have to choose between, well, managing timber for income or managing land for wildlife you there are practices that allow you to, to achieve both it's it's a marriage between the two of them and it's a hundred percent um possible to do both no doubt no question yes that's the situation that we're in too i mean we're, we're, we have to look at uh you know what it's going to take to be able to run and operate farming we're, we're in the same situation utilize those same types of programs and it's it's working it's working so Lindsay, I really appreciate your your time coming on. Um, extremely knowledgeable. I love the, um, the insight that you share and your perspective and the way that uh, you utilize Grace Acres. Um, and, and I hope everyone else can kind of see that passion and, um, you know, uh, appreciate just as much as, as we do. So thank you for coming on and, and talking about um, the history. And I'm sure we probably will have a, a follow-up podcast on this just because I know that there's more to cover um, and, and we'll, we'll get there. But thank you again, sir, for your time. Man, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So we'll do this one. All right. Um, so for this week's highlighted property, it's our very own Woo-hoo! listing. We just got uh, recently here in southern Missouri, um, 178 acres near Hartville, Missouri. This is a very unique property, um, right on the highway, 
um, Highway 5, but it kind of has the ability to be turned into what you want it to be. If you want to be just recreational cattle farm, horse farm, maybe one goats and sheep, you have that ability. Um, it has a house. It's very diversified. You've got it, it bottom totally ground, yep. uh, about a 25, 26-acre bottom field. It butts up against the Woods Fork branch of the Gasconade River. Um, so it has water frontage, and um, but then it's got about 30 to 35 acres of pretty cool timber, nice oak, mixed oak timber, a um, lot of really old oak growth, like we're talking the big wolfy trees you hear us mm-hmm. talk about on Habitat Podcasts all the time that are probably a couple hundred years old. They're scattered around, and uh, so it's a great mix. The, it the, also has... I'll say the cool thing is it's like... We, it, it, it kind of has like everything. I don't mean to like over exaggerate anything, but it, it truly does like bottom ground check, river frontage check, road yep. frontage check, house yep. great house check, working pens check, pasture yep. check, trees check, large pond large pond check, yep. beautiful sunset views truly too check, and walnuts yep. check. Got it's a really cool property, um, so it's 178 acres. If you were to think, who who's going to buy that? Like, in, in a perfect ideal world, the way it's set up right now, what it does offer, you know, who who could you see coming into something like that? It's it, it's kind of wide open because you have the ability for a country home setting where right. you just buy it and you have twenty head of cows and you run them around all year long, mm-hmm. or you have the ability to the house is centrally located, so it's off the highway, back up against the timber, right. And it's a 2,800-square-foot house, four-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath, two-car garage with basement, walkout basement. Um, lots of room in there. Oh, but yeah. since it's centrally located, you have the ability with that well to branch off and make a really high-intense rotational grazing operation to where mm-hmm. you maximize the production of it. Um, put a lot more livestock on it. Put a lot more livestock on it and, and have the ability to possibly if you wanted to it's wide open if i owned it i would probably i would almost consider the the idea of of doing maybe the bottom field in cool seasons mm-hmm. and then leave the top and make that west kind of south south facing slope pasture all in natives oh, yeah. and then run stalkers and get some in late winter or something send them on the cool seasons and then run them on the warm seasons fatten them up and ship them out yep. and kind of be out of cows and not having to feed hay during the late late fall early winter That's right. um so you have that ability um you could even there's a big garden site uh by the house so it's kind of that country home if you want to have those that smaller herd of cows keep them year round maybe some horses um to me i i look at them like that's a family setting. It like, is like very much. You could, yeah. If you have the the desire to want to raise a family on a farm, this would do it. Like I see kids playing down at the creek. They know they got the trees still, but they got the farm, the livestock. They can raise their own um, and just really incorporate the whole family aspect into that property. So it's, it's and it's out in the it's out in the country, but conveniences aren't far. What it's like eight minutes from Highway 60. Yeah, and, and so you can shoot right there. It's about an hour from Springfield, Missouri. But a grocery store itself uh, grocery is Grocery store is a few minutes yeah, away. Yeah, five minutes away. It's got a 30 by 50 metal barn, hay barn, mm-hmm. uh, pipe corral, work chute, and then it's got a 32 by 50 metal shop building with concrete floor and electricity. Um, really nice located house. I, I, that's located right next to the hay barn, 
and the and the corral, so you kind of have that ability. There's a, a cattle guard keeping the cows out of the yard. That's how. Mm-hmm. So there's not constant o- opening gates. There's right. also a cattle guard at the front gate, yep. um, right off the highway. So if you wanted to, you could set it up to where you never have to open a gate, but you still have cows right there. So um, oh, cool place. Great setting. Great setting. The the pond. I don't. I, they don't. The owners don't know if there's still catfish in it, but. Um, a few years ago, they were still catching catfish out of it. So, nice, nice. Um, pretty cool place. They're asking six hundred thousand for it. Um, so, so six hundred thousand for one hundred seventy-eight acres, pasture, riverfront, and then a twenty-eight hundred square foot house, four yeah. bedroom, three bath. That's right. Yeah. Not so, bad. anyway, four one seven five four three four four eight six five four zero four one nine seven five four seven. There you go. If you guys want more information on it, um, to me that you have the ability to. If uh, if you're looking for, um, if you're looking for, this could be also. You ask me who's the who's the buyer, person coming in wanting a country home setting, um, still with the with the nice ability to be right in the town or right at the grocery store or, or kind of in the middle of of the action not too far into the middle of the country Mm -hmm. um so you have that option or if you're a guy looking for investment property that's like i really want to invest in something to improve it make it as uh productive as possible and then sell it later um, at a higher price this farm also has that ability um because the house is kind of it's in great shape but you could modernize it fix it up a little bit more and then turn the paddocks or the, the farm into more rotational grazing. So if somebody wanted to do sheep or goats um, and really try to maximize everything out of that farm, they could do it. So Absolutely. Anyway, sky's there you the have limit. It. That's a good one, though. Looking forward to see kind of what uh, – Who buys it. Who, who buys it. And what they the do with it. The showings, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so anyway, guys, if you have if you are interested in it, if that's something you or somebody you know is looking for, give us a shout. Okay, there you have it for Love of Land Podcast. Man, Lindsay I Thomas smashing it. it. Man, he killed it. And it's so it's so much fun talking to, with people about things that they don't always have the opportunity to talk. Like, he's he's the editor of, of Whitetail Magazine. And, and, like, he talks Whitetails all the time. Not that it's obviously dear or not important, but when you get him out of that, that element or box, you know, his his mind and his knowledge is so much more vast as he knows vegetation um, management, uh, he knows the history of the property, the history of the general area, um, the history of wild game, and how to manage all of those in, in nature's image. And that's super important, and he loves doing it. It means a lot to him. It's home, and he, he crushed that story. I yep. love it. He'll probably be back on. Yep, I would say so. And that's what's so exciting about this podcast for Love Land Podcast is we can talk to people who about stuff that you don't typically hear them talk about. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, little known fact if you didn't know that about Lindsay. Yeah, Grace Acres. That's right. Um, I guess that's it. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week. See ya.